Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. All right, let's talk about it, guys. So, you know, you and I, um, you've been at an industry investing conference since Monday morning. You've been doing, if you're following the Context 365 Twitter feed, it seems like you've been literally up on the stage, guy, for three days straight. So the entire a- the entire time. So tell us, who are some of the people that you've interviewed, and what are just give us a couple quick takeaways, and then we're going to hit the market action. All right. So the, I'll go in order. I I started yesterday with Michael Saylor, obviously of MicroStrategies. We had a really interesting conversation. I mean, he's clearly not at all concerned with the you know recent price drop in Bitcoin from sixty eight thousand to thirty one thousand. It's obviously subsequently rallied a bit. You know, he looks at this as opportunities, and you know, one of the things we talked about is sort of the optionality he has created for his company, MicroStrategies, vis a vis what they've done with their balance sheet. So it was a really cool conversation. We're going to post this, by the way, on the Risk Reversal website at some point. Lily, the Lilster has the, what do they do? What are those things, those sticks they put files on? What do they call those things? Uh, USB stick, I guess. Yeah, that thing. Yeah, like that. So she has, she has that, and, and that will be going to Amanda, who will then subsequently download it. So that was that. Then I had the opportunity to speak with Michael Novogratz, um, who I absolutely love. You know, I started the conversation saying how when I was at Goldman Sachs, there were certain people that were talked about in sort of mythological terms, and Novogratz was one of those people. And we've gotten to know each other pretty well over the years. He's just a great story. You know, we started talking about, obviously, the Goldman years, and the New York Post ran an article on his family last August. Um, a really interesting family, and just what his views on the market were. And we had a co- gr- cool conversation about bail reform, you know, the fact that he thinks this paradigm shift, and we might be effectively now the market has changed and it might be a market where you need to sell all rallies. And I tend to agree with him. So that was cool. Well, guy, question there. Um, so if he's a macro guy and, and Bitcoin and crypto is clearly a macro asset right mm-hmm. now, does that, you know, there's been a lot of stuff on Twitter and such that where Bitcoin is shown to be very correlated to kind of high growth NASDAQ names, at least, you know, over the last year or so. Uh, any thoughts there from Novo on that? I mean, if you're if we're selling the rips here, are we doing the same he thing thinks, in crypto? No, he doesn't think so. I mean, he definitely thinks there's obviously some short term correlation, but he thinks in terms of Bitcoin, you know, it's its own animal in terms of. You know, Michael Saylor brought this up as well. It's incorrectly called a currency by many, and it's more property to him. And it's, you know, sort of the foundational stuff. And you talk about it a lot. And, you know, off camera, he explained to me how how he values it. And, you know, you can make a pretty compelling case that fair value for Bitcoin, depending on who you talk to, is anywhere from 65,000 to 180,000, depending upon the formula you invoke. So it was a pretty cool, it was a really interesting conversation. You know, he understands in this um, new paradigm of the Fed, why Bitcoin is sold off. I was quick to point out that, although that was part of it, I think the real reason was it correlated, the top of Bitcoin correlated exactly when he got that wolf howling at the moon tattoo. 
Oof. Uh, so we had a pretty good chuckle not, over that. Not, not pretty. Um, all right, Danny Moses joined us. Danny, no, he did not. Before mentioned, Danny no, Moses, who is not. our co-host of On the Tape. All right, Danny, welcome, buddy. Oh man, boosted, vaccinated, still got the COVID at that terrible. Can I, can I mention <laughs> yeah, can bad restaurants in New York City? STK downtown, which has no right to exist any longer. I come to New York City for four days. Bang, COVID. So I've been. Yeah, looking. and you know what? And you came over to my apartment right after that dinner. So thanks a lot. No Danny. problem. You've already had it, so we're in good shape. Anyway, all right, all right. Listen, yeah. let's get into the markets here, guys, because um, you know, Danny. We I, can I say it's Danny Moses? By the way, for you, if, if you've never met him, he is a sexy man. I don't know if I'm allowed <laughs> to say that, but I love you, you guys. It's, it's, yeah. it's your Twitter. It's your Twitter guy, space, guy. COVID prevented me from seeing you this week, so I'm very upset. That was my biggest loss so far. Now so, listen, so, here, I'm, right. I'm down here at Turn. Yeah. Yeah, you're down at Turnberry. Okay, we got it. All right, I'm going to run things from here on out. Let's kind of keep it orderly here because we got to get – there's a lot of stuff to cover here. Um, all right, let's just talk about the turnaround that we've seen the last two trading days. Danny, you and I have not talked. You know, the Monday and the Tuesday reversal off of the lows. Guy and I were discussing it yesterday on Market Call, the videos that we do, live stream. You can find them on our Twitter. It almost felt like a little plunge protection action on Monday and then maybe even yesterday because you know the fed can't really change its tune on this hawkish stance but they can get in there and start some 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 short squeezes you know via the futures market wouldn't you think so I, you think that was what was going on the last couple of days yeah at the end of the day they still think there's this underlying belief that the fed is still prisoner somewhat to the stock market and we talked last week on on the tape the, the market was pricing in i think a 97 percent chance of a rate hike in march which i'm sure is going to happen but we said just on the margin i would effectively short that and effectively it's been dropping it's funny if you watch with the market it correlates right so it went from 97 to 93 and that's when you kind of got the you know the market rally a little bit so i don't mean to be as simple as that but that's part of it and i think listen people can hate short sellers all you want but shorts are the ones that provide the automatic buy protection right at the end of the day because they have to cover at some point so i think you've seen just a little bit of rebalancing kind of into this fed announcement and I don't know what they're going to say. Like, it could be more hawkish than what's being interpreted necessarily. So I think, I think it's just taking risk down on both sides. We're going to keep seeing these type of waves. So, But if I may, and I'm, you know, just to sort of dovetail, as they say, Danny Moses' comments, I think there are a lot of people out there still, and I'm not suggesting I'm right, this is just my view, that think the Fed is somehow going to be um, – they're going to be watching the market in in sort of out of the in their peripheral vision, right? And if the market really takes a another leg lower, they might change their stance. And and my pushback would be, I think this is much different than the 2018 Fed for a number of different reasons. One, that prior administration was laser focused on the stock market. I mean, Trump and his and his crew would say over and over again that the stock market was a report card for their administration. And I think they browbeat the Fed into doing what they did. That's just my view. I think this administration is far more focused on inflation because that's what all the cable news shows lead with. And there's a midterm election. So if you think the Fed's going to back off uh, some of the rhetoric because the market's going down, I think you're wrong. Yeah, well, we I was going to say, Dan, we, we have seen within all these sell offs and buy and you know, people buying the market back. There has been a, a flight to quality to a degree. I can't measure it exactly, but you have seen the better cash flowing, better companies. Look look at American Express, for example, all right? We talked about this exact thing. You cannot trade the XLF. You can, but you shouldn't. If you had followed the XLF with American Express, which obviously is a large component of the XLF, look how it tracked. 
until they reported. All Amex did was get back two weeks of falling XLF, right? And it went right back to where it was. Now they're separated. So what I've taken away from this entire experience is stock pickers market. That was a great opportunity if people were paying attention instead of just saying, I want exposure to financials I'm buying, or I don't want exposure to financials I'm selling XLF. Look at the individual name. Sorry, I just wanted to add that. Yeah, but you wouldn't have bought it in front of that print because, you know, your assumption and, and maybe maybe it, things have changed a little bit. But, you know, stocks, when, when, when bank stocks, money centers, investment banks were reporting a couple weeks ago, um, you know, J.P. Morgan got punished. Goldman Sachs got punished when Morgan Stanley and Bank of America wasn't as bad as us. They just didn't go up that much. And I, I actually think for the rest of earnings season, um, I think we're in a situation where the risk reward of getting long in front of a print, and that could change. Listen, if the Fed kind of cools things out a little bit, and then we have a couple of mega cap names that that kind of do what Microsoft did, where there's nothing really to poke holes in, then maybe maybe the narrative has changed a little bit. But until we know that for some sort of certain, it's kind of one up, two or three down risk reward, in my opinion. And Netflix really told you that. Now, did some things get beaten up with Netflix? Like, would you press Disney as they get into their report in a couple of weeks after it just got murdered on the on the heels of Netflix? Maybe not. I mean, we'll, we're going to know a lot more. But I, I guess the point that I would make is, like, even right now, even into today's close, you know, like, what's reporting tonight? Like, Tesla or something? You know, like you got a you got a one up scenario, and you got a two or three down if they were to dis disappoint. Is that fair? Do you guys agree with that? I agree with it. I think that's exactly right, and that's some of the things that Novogratz was talking about yesterday. That there's this paradigm shift now. And by the way, Liz Young mentioned this last week um, during our market call that you know now you're in an environment where you're selling rallies, and I think you will be rewarded for that. And we're seeing one today. Um, most violent rallies, and Danny can speak to this, take place. You know, I don't want to use the term bear market because I don't. I just don't feel like getting added. But when markets have sort of shifted course, and that's when you see the most violent rallies. You saw it on Monday, uh, and you've seen it over the last couple of days. I think these rallies will continue to be sold, but they're going to be vicious. And the people, this is when people get the most chopped up because those counter trend rallies are really painful. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say that guy. Like part of the. If I could pick a positive about having COVID and being a little bit on the sidelines, it's been. I haven't really been actively trading this market. Whether I would be or not is a different story. But sitting back and watching the volatility, all I can think of people selling at the lows, buying back at the highs, people selling at the lows. And Dan, just on your comment that you made, and I think you kind of answered my point for me on. You know, not all companies are built to like. You may have in the tech sector. Netflix is very different than Microsoft. American Express is not a money center bank. And I'm not saying I was buying Amex in front of the print. That wasn't my point. My point is that now is the time. It just reconfirms my belief that this entire year will be about stock picking. And, you know, you got to sit through some tough times, but that's what I truly believe that where we're sitting. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and Dan, I know you want to jump in, but Danny just said something, and I've mentioned it, but it's worth mentioning again. People have been, when I say people, traders, investors, whatever friggin' word you want to use, have been rewarded for the better part of a decade for being short volatility, for selling options effectively and, and collecting that premium and creating for themselves a synthetic dividend. And that's worked. It works until it doesn't. And when people are short volatility, what Danny was just describing, where on the way down, selling sort of accelerates, and then those same sellers turn into buyers on the way up. And the reason why, in large part, is because they have negative gamma or what we used to call bad Greek. And that does not resolve itself overnight.
Dude, I will tell you, if you've ever had a bad like street meat gyro, um, in that that is the worst Greek you can get because it usually is like a night of some serious drinking. And you know, Tom Sweeney not- is here. There was a place in Georgetown um, yeah. that sold those, what do you call them? Street gyros meat. or gyros. Yeah. Heroes. I, yeah. People used to go. I never went. They terrified me. Just anyway, back to well, you. Well, with your constitution guy. All right, no, real I'm quickly. Not, I, no, it's really bad for Let, me. Let's try to hit some actionable stuff. Look, look Amanda's going to post a chart I just did of the S&P 500, the SPX. It's sure. sitting right here, literally right at its 200-day moving average, right? So if we go back all the way to spring of 2000. Guy, mute yourself, please. If we go all the way back to the spring of 2000, you know, this is the first few days that the S&P 500 has been below its 200-day moving average. So here, there it is. There, you know, 4,600. That's that prior support, that uptrend, now resistance. Danny, what's your take on the S&P between here and there? We might get back there if we, you know, we might get back there based on what the Fed has to say or maybe some earnings that are decent enough. But that's going to be massive resistance near term, don't you think? 100%. And I'm not bullish on the market. If any, if you made me pick, I'm definitely bearish, but selectively buying quality when I put my money back in the market. But let me just be clear. The Fed's going to do what they're going to do. They're raising rates in March. They're going to complete taper. They're going to say that. The one optionality, obviously, is the reinvestment of the runoff, the $9 trillion. Let's see if they comment on that. I don't know if they will. They may say, you know, because we don't get a presser in this thing. We just get yep. a statement, right, that comes out. And it's going to be analyzed. Once the dust settles and people are going to realize tomorrow, Fed's still raising. There's still inflationary stuff going on. Whether they overshoot or not, we're not going to know for a while. So I'm a believer in selling the strength on things that you don't have true conviction. And I'll say this again. Every single different price for every stock is a new underwriting opportunity. And when stocks drop from 50 to 40 to 30 that aren't trading on fundamentals but are trading on either the Fed put or you know money coming into the system, you can't, in my opinion, you just can't pick a bottom on those. So, again, I, I can't tell you where the S&P overall is going to go. I, I think it hits 4,000 before it ever goes back to 4,800. If you put a, you know, maybe make a decision, that would be my guess here. Guy, so, new highs when? I, I think we're months and months and months off. New I, highs I just, are going to be in the back half of this year. I mean, I think we're talking about August, September, and I think you're going to see a mind-melting rally in the back half of the year. But listen, and I'm not saying this in a vacuum. We've talked about this exact scenario for a while now, as has Tom Lee, Mike Wilson, a number of people, that the first half of the year is going to be painful. And that's what we're seeing. By the way, what hasn't been painful, Dan, and I know you're probably getting to this, so I'm what they're calling jumping the gun. Um, but look at what energy's doing. Look at the OIH. Look at the move in the OIH from that 175 level that we flagged. Look at where it is right now. I think it's either side of 232. And, you know, the Fed can control a lot of things, or at least they think they can. I'll tell you one thing they can't control. And that's the price of oil. And I, that's going to continue to be a story that I think too many people are not taking into consideration. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, you know, you, you've been calling for $100 oil. And, and the one thing I'll say about that is at certain times when oil's had these um, kind of moves to new highs from from the sell-offs, and we've seen some serious sell-offs. There's been two 20% plus over the last year. And here we are back at new highs, you know, on certain occasions, Guy, and I think you'd agree with me, the large integrated names or some of the services names, they hadn't confirmed those moves in the underlying commodity, but you are starting to see that. So to your point about OIH, I was on the other side of this trade. I took the other side on XLE, and I've been um, saying the same about services, but they they really do. You came into the year thinking oil services, Halliburton in particular, these were kind of like 
coiled springs. So uh, good on you. All right, real quickly, I want to hit you guys um, Intel. Um, Guy, you were you were actually positive at the, the uh, on like kind of old tech. This was a couple months ago, I feel like. Cisco, Oracle, IBM. Oracle, you were on the train for a while. IBM had those results, which I didn't think were particularly great. Our friend Jim Chanos was just destroying them um, as they were coming out on Twitter at Wall Street Cynic. Um, but the stock was up like four or five percent in a bad tape yesterday. Now it's down in a good tape today. Seems like a, a just a value trap. But Intel reports tonight, guy. Intel, um, you know, huge underperformer relative to the semi space. Uh, very cheap name, but they've misexecuted on on numerous occasions over the last few years. Implied move is eight and a half percent right now. Okay? Yeah. The stock was down eleven and a half percent when they reported their Q3 back in October. The stock is not traded higher. You ready for this? Stock is not traded higher the day after earnings in six quarters. So if you go back, I think the average decline over the last six quarters has been about eight or nine yeah. percent the day after earnings. So there's a gap to be filled. Um, is there a value trade in the semi space, especially when we know the chip shortage is lasting longer than we uh, are expecting? If they come in and if data center, which is the only, well, I shouldn't say the only, but to me, like for all these companies that we watch, there's certain things that I'm become focused on. And for Intel, it's always what the data center numbers are. And if it comes in in line, if it's not a disaster, which by the way, it's been for quarter after quarter you have a chance to see that implied move to the upside, no question, especially in this environment where people are looking for low valuation trades that they don't feel they're going to get bludgeoned in, which is why I've said for a while now, names like Cisco and IBM and Oracle and those types of names can do well in this environment, not because their business has changed at all, but because money's flowing out of some of these high valuation, high growth names and into names that people have a better handle on valuation wise. And I think Intel is one of them. So, not that I want to play stock market here because, as you just mentioned, you've gotten smoked for a year and a half in Intel into earnings. But this might be the one time where it might be worth a look just as yeah. an FYI. Hey, Danny, real quickly, um, I would just add here, Taiwan Semi, the stock had this huge gap a couple weeks ago um, from about the levels where it's trading right now-ish in the mid-120s to 140, a little above that, and then reversed, and now it's back at 125. That was on the announcement that they were just just, just ramping CapEx. And so if you think about all the pent-up demand and the supply issues, I mean, Taiwan Semi, to me, you want to find uh, you know a cheap stock in the space, um, that's the one for me. I think it's less of a flyer than Intel Danny, any thoughts on tech and tech earnings? Because yeah. we're going to get in the meat of them right here. Yeah, I mean, not a ton, but let me just say that an eight eight and a half percent implied move in Intel, if it is lower, takes it exactly literally to the penny on its fifty two week low. That's probably a safe bet. It doesn't go under that. And just for everyone listening, I'm sure they know how you, how you can see implied moves. You basically are taking the option market is telling you what to expect based upon the volatility so i just wanted to make how sure are they doing that, that danny because i did a show on on a, a cnbc called options action for 10 years and we used to speak to that a lot do you want me to go through it really quickly like yeah i think you should, yeah. Yes, yeah do that okay you know how you do this that. people yeah. back of the napkin how you figure out what the implied movement in a stock is take the weekly at the money straddle that is the call price and the put price so right, right now for instance intel is trading at 52 and a half let's say you take the 52 and a half weekly call premium, you add that to the 52 and a half weekly put premium, you take that amount of the total premium, 
divide by the stock price, that percentage is it. You need to, let's say it was a dollar. You would need it to go above 53 and a half to the upside to make money, or you'd need it to go below 51 and a half to the downside to make money. That's how you figure out implied movement into earnings events. There you go. There you okay. go. Yep. Um, all right. Let's, let's move the ball around a little bit here, guys. Um, guy, you mentioned energy. Um, staples have been really good. Um, utilities have hung in there. Mike Wilson was on Fast Money the other night. The strategist said um, Morgan Stanley, and you mentioned this guy. Um, so he thinks there's another 10% lower in this first half in the in the S&P, and he thinks to stay defensive. Any thoughts on, on what is defensive other than some of these groups that everyone flocks to, like utilities and staples? Are there other parts of the market that kind of interest you um, in an environment that's going to remain choppy? Big cap pharma and energy is not defensive. It's actually offensive. I'm not trying to be a wise guy, but I think energy. I think if you look, look at the moves over the last couple of weeks in energy, I mean, they've, it's been somewhat um, – it's impervious to these broader market moves, and I think that's going to continue. And you mentioned that the, the equities were not – the move in the equities was not correlating to the move in the um, underlying commodity. I agree. I think that's all about to change. So, I mean, big cap pharma, I think, works just on valuations. And I think energy works as well, just for my two cents here, Dan. Danny, what do you got, buddy? I'm with Guy. No, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm with Guy on that. All right, Sorry. let's talk rates real quickly here, guys. So we have this, you know, two year, it's kind of pinned at like 1%. Um, we have the 10 year, which is just kind of banging around. It's kind of 1.7, 1.8. Eight range. I know it got as high as 1.9. Are you guys expecting, you know, again, we're not having a presser here. Let's assume that the Fed used the opportunity to stabilize the stock market, at least for now. And let's say there's no expectations of a 50 basis point hike in uh, March, and there's no acceleration of, let's say, the potential for a quantitative tightening. Um, where, where do rates shake out here? What, what, what's, what's the next move in rates? I'll let Danny Moses. Yeah, no, listen. Book. Listen, I think it's become evident, and we've been talking about this as well, not to beat a dead horse, but watching the tenure to decide what you're going to do in the markets has not been the right trip. We've had days in the last week where yields, the tenure yields are down, and so is the market. We've had days where the tenure yield was up, and so, and so is the market, right? So there's really no correlation, in my opinion, the tenure. It is the two-year. And I don't see the two-year moving much higher than the one or 105, I think, is what we peaked at recently. So I think we're kind of safe there. You want to see a steepening curve. You want the belief to be that, that, that the market can sustain, which I think it can, a two to even two and a quarter 10-year treasury, which is where it should be way above that anyway at this point, um, and that you have a nice spread, the 210. And I think that's the, quote, soft landing. There is no soft landing when rates when the Fed's raising rates, but I think that is your perfect scenario. So you asked me about who I spoke to. One of the things that Novogratz said yesterday, and by the way, I've tried to point this out as well, as far as he can tell, there's been no, there's been no economy that's been able to stomach 130 percent debt to GDP ratio, which is what we're dealing with here now. So, what does that mean for rates? Well, you've said it for a while, Dan. You don't think in this environment rates can go meaningfully higher, and I hope you're right. The problem is, I think you know these band of uh, these band of brothers here in terms of the Federal Reserve. I think they're so screwed that there's nothing they can do. So I do think rates continue to grind higher. I hope Danny's right. 
the twos tens widens out. I don't think it will. I think it's going to continue. Well, they're never, listen, they're just never going higher because they're never going to be able to meaningfully like kind of work down the balance sheet. And if you think about where fed funds topped out at two and a half percent in 2019 and the 10 year treasury yield got a little North of three, um, you know, we're trillions and trillions of dollars more on the balance sheet. And how do you service that? And so if you just go back and look at this top, you know, we had Fed funds above 6% in 2000. We had Fed funds above 5% in 2007, 2008. And then you have Fed funds that got, you know, 2.5% in 2019. Well, you know, effectively, the whole thing's broken. I mean, it just is. And so, you know, I, you know, I, hey, I, Dan. I know. Yeah. hey, Dan, I just, Think about what you just said, and I agree. This is so insane that we're that the market's in a panic, and maybe it should be. Where we haven't even raised rates yet, right? We yeah. haven't even begun the cycle. And to your point, and 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 I think this is the truth: the market will not. I mean, the the economy will not do well with sustained higher rates. We know it's going to slow, which is why I believe we keep seeing the ten-year yields come in, right? Because it's predicting a market slowdown if the Fed does go through with their rate hikes. I'm on the belief that we're two to three and done. Because I believe at the end of the day that the Fed will succumb to the if the markets do indeed go to 4,000 on the S&P and lower, I believe they take a break, whether that's the right or wrong reason. They've done everything wrong, in my opinion, for the last several years. Why do anything right at this point? I wish they would control inflation. I wish they would take the high road and ignore the stock market. But maybe it's too ingrained in my head. But I just believe that's what they're going to do. And that's what makes trading these days and these data points so difficult and stick to fundamentals. All right, Sorry, question Dan. question on a single name, because you're talking, Danny, if you're thinking that we're going to get this steepening yield curve, one of the names that kind of stuck out to me, and I kind of highlighted it today on this uh, weekly I do with uh, Fidelity called Big Low up. Money, which will drop later this afternoon. So check it out, because I detailed an options trade on that. But look at Bank America. Look at how this stock showed, I think, very good relative strength to the broad market. It pulled back to its 200-day moving average bounce, which is also the uptrend that's been in place since the summer. And it really looks like it wants to party. I mean, like if, if you were to get that steepening yield curve in a market that basically, I don't know, just kind of like, let's say it put in its bottom in the near term, it could continue to chop. You know, the way that these stocks rallied in the beginning of January, you might see this thing back at 50 soon. I'm just curious, Danny, any thoughts there? Listen, it's not going anywhere, in a, meaning it's not going to get killed, right? It's, as long as consumer credit stays decent, it's fine. It's got a decent dividend yield certainly still relative to where rates are, right? It's near, it's like 1.9 or something, 1.9% or something like that and rising. It's fine. I think these stocks are utility stocks. I think they're a safe place to hide. But if you do have a sustained sell-off in the markets, you do ruin the IPO calendar, right? You do hinder M&A valuations. You do, and that will have an impact on them. And so costs are fixed higher now to a degree throughout 2022. If you ruin the numerator, meaning revenues to a degree, you know, these stocks aren't going to do well. So Dead money at best. These are perfect stocks, in my opinion, in high high vol markets to sell covered calls, right? Or to write puts to buy these things lower. Just take advantage of the volatility, but I don't think it's that sexy. Guys, but, is, by is the Danny way, interviewing to be on options action Friday. Before we is get out of here, Danny Moses, before we get out of here, I know that it was like week seven or eight that both Danny and I, now I thought the Colts were going to be in the Super Bowl. They didn't make the playoffs, but we also thought the Rams were going to be there. And I'm going to stand by that. I love the Rams this weekend. I think oh, they're playing at an entirely different level. And by the way, uh, the Chiefs have proven they're extraordinarily vulnerable. And I so Joe Burrow is somebody that I should not like, but I love every single thing about him and that Cincinnati Bengal team. So 
Bengals, Rams, Danny Nathan. Uh, Danny All Moses. right, but wait, wait, but these guys to get Danny Moses's picks, you're gonna have to tune into on the yeah. tape on no. Friday. We don't, we just don't give them out like this. Hey, um, real, real quickly though, we we got some hate mail from a listener who said started out his email a couple weeks ago or a week ago. I didn't even forward it to you guys. He said, "I love the podcast. I love the content. You guys have been great on markets, but you killed my Colts." The guy was like, "He was no, so he was so mad." He's I like, know. The, the, "He said the on the tape podcast jinx of the Colts." Hey, guy, I got one. I got one last one for you guys, and and this is, you know, I, I just want to bring this up because I think this will be important tonight. This is service now, okay? And the reason I bring it up, the stock's down about thirty percent from its recent all time highs. This is not a small SaaS company, okay? It's a hundred billion dollar market company again that was down 30 percent trades about 17 sales 17 times sales they report tonight i think some of the reactions to these sorts of stocks will be really important microsoft you know rallying five percent off its lows in the aftermarket last night to be up five percent that's important i get it you know what i mean um but this stock if you think about it do eight percent to its recent lows in may down at 450 here we are at like 510 or higher to its breakdown level up there at 600. I mean, I think these are the stocks that are going to determine when and how the NASDAQ um, bottoms. Give me your give me your two May, cents, guys. May quickly. 21st, if memory serves, ServiceNow was trading $454. Two months later, it was a $700 stock. It feels, it just feels like to me, and I haven't looked at it that closely, but feels like it's going to do, as we call in the business, a round trip, Dan Nathan. Fair enough. Danny, what do, you, what do you make of that, just that sentiment in general? You know, the, some of these stocks are still very expensive and the real market cap companies, if there are any disasters in some of this, some of these names, yeah. what, just they'll thoughts. Get, they'll get punished and they'll, and they'll go to the point of no return, meaning, like I said before, if they're not trading on solid fundamentals, you know, it's going to be tough to buy them at any price. Can I just make one more football fun fact? Please. Yeah, of course. Tom Brady was drafted in uh, April of 2000, we all know that the NASDAQ hit an all-time high in, in March of 2000, right? And if he did indeed retire, I'm just bookending a little bit of two events that are happening at the same time. So anyway, history often rhymes like that. So just thinking that was Brady's final, uh, you know, final okay. game. So, well, like, here's anyway. one thing. Before you, before you two guys get out of here, uh, on OK Computer, which is a podcast that was for social media launched just recently, um, Packy McCormick and I had a great conversation with Sheldon Day. Sheldon is the defensive tackle for the Cleveland Browns. Um, and check it out. His, his former Notre Dame football teammate, Amir Carlisle, they started a project on financial literacy, originally focused on the NFL, but it's going to become a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. It's going to be a learn to earn about finance and financial literacy. I, I think it was really fascinating. Check that podcast out, people. It was a great conversation. We also had Packy and Melton Demirs of CoinShares, who's been on with us on Spaces and on, on the tape. And we kind of just kind of went through the whole crypto crush in, in a very sober way these guys were great so check out okay computer that drops every wednesday follow the podcast stores also this friday you're gonna have danny you're gonna have guy uh and we are gonna be talking with victor jones of tasty trade um about what's going on in the markets and we'll get in a little bit more into the, the the options weeds that danny tried to take us into today so that drops on friday so thanks to cme the sponsor of trading spaces and also the sponsor of our podcast on the tape guys Enjoy the rest of the week. Thanks well, for thanks, joining. Thanks for letting thanks me drop everybody. in. See you, thanks, boys. Guys.